This is the best, most fun I have ever, ever, ever had on a podcast. This is a hit. I'm Jesse Cole, your host of Business Done Differently, where we get to meet successful people who look at business differently and we get to know them in a different way. What I find the most powerful way of standing out is what is your unique perception about what you do. Mm. And this is an imperative thing because there's hardly any industry that is brand new. We're all doing something that a lot of other people are doing. So how do you stand out? I believe you stand out by being able to convey to the world what your unique perspective is on what you do. Today, Jeffrey Shaw is with us on the Business Done Differently show. He is the sought-after portrait photographer for over three decades, and he's the host of the amazing podcast, Creative Warriors. And today, he's speaking my language with his new book, Lingo, How to Discover Your Ideal Customer's Secret Language. Jeff, pumped to have you on the show. Uh, Excited to be here. (laughs) All right, Jeff. Lingo, we're going to talk a lot about that in the show, so I'm going to give you the opportunity to have the word of the day for the show. So I'm going to go with warm because we're like the warmest Miami Beach. We're the warmest place in the country right now. And it speaks a lot to the the nature of relationship and, and how I'm looking to spend uh, the weekend with uh, you know warmth of, of environment and the people I want to be with. Beautiful. Well, let's start with a warm welcome here for the listeners to <laughs> understand you. I want to start with a segment called the 411. Hmm. And these are four quick questions to get some information on you that I didn't briefly share in the intro. You ready to rock? All right. All right. One sentence to describe what you do. Oh, I help creative entrepreneurs connect with their uh, ideal customers through the use of a secret language. Perfect. And what if you were to break that down into one word to describe you? Holy crap. This is the way we're starting. Huh? <laughs> one word. <laughs> um, empathetic. Perfect. All right. And one business accomplishment you're most proud of right now? Getting this freaking book out. Like this has been huge. I, I'm an avid reader and I, I have a whole new respect of what it takes to get a book out. Oh, 100%. I'm right there with you. And then finally, <laughs> as we get into this last one, the 411, what's one thing that someone that no one knows about you? Oh, uh, well, th- they're not supposed to find out. Um, <laughs> They're going to know now. Gosh. Well, it's the funny thing. So I, I guess I'll share it because it's not out in the world yet. But um, but I share this as the intro story into the book Lingo is I have a phobia of banks. And it's the weirdest thing. <laughs> and I, I, for the first time ever, tell the story as to that I that admit that I have a phobia of banks and I explain why. All right. I'm, never, I'm not just going to move right past that. We're, <laughs> we're going to get into Lingo. You got to quickly give an explanation why you have a phobia of banks. Yeah. I, um, okay. So because it was, it was a truth revealer and that's the, that's the, how I start the book off to explain the story of like, you know, standing behind that velvet rope at a bank back in the day, we're going back 30 years ago yeah. before we had ATM machines. And to me, it was a, it was a revealing of the truth. And the truth was when I was starting out in business, I would go up to the bank teller and find out I had no money. I didn't have money to pay myself. I didn't have money to transfer from my business to myself. And I thought it was this hotshot 20-year-old starting out in business and pumping it up and, and faking it till I make it. But the reality was you can't fake the bank. 
Yeah. Right. So to me, it was it was I just got I developed literally a, a, a fear of banks such that you know, for years I wouldn't step into a bank. I would send employees to go make deposits and withdrawals because I can't go into a bank. I break out into a cold sweat because so many times I would have to face the reality of going into a bank teller and realizing that, listen, buddy, you're not who you think you are. You, you know, you may think you're hot stuff, but you don't have a dime to your name. And I, I just I couldn't deal with banks. Wow, that's fascinating because I feel like all, all <laughs> entrepreneurs at some point have a challenge where they don't have any money. They're out. But having an actual phobia of banks and sending other employees in, I'm I'm glad we went there because that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be a great opening. I don't know how warm that feels for people, but let's move on to <laughs> to um, I might have to lay down on a couch, but OK. <laughs> yeah, I know you got cold sweats. Uh, this is this is tough. But uh, no, I literally, am, I literally am breaking out of sweat. Jesse. This is funny. I literally am sweating. And it's I am very warm right now. <laughs> That's usually how we like to open it up with our guests, to try to get them sweating and feeling uncomfortable. That That is business done differently. But uh, now, Jeffrey, thanks for sharing that. Some great in- insight into the 411. And I think this goes right perfectly into our round of different strokes. How do you see business differently than most people? Uh, upside down. I mean, I literally, I used to start off my all my speaking engagements with a photograph of me doing a headstand in whatever city I was speaking in because I, I love to do headstands. I'm a practitioner of yoga. So I would show up to my speaking engagements early and I would go to like a well-known fountain in the town or, you know, some landmark in the town and I would quickly have a photograph taken of myself doing a headstand um, because I immediately wanted to tell the audience that, you know, we're going to look at business not only differently, but we're going to look at it probably upside down because the way the rest of the world is doing it business probably isn't working for you. Wow. So my, my, you know, I, I instantly just look at everything completely opposite of the way everybody else is looking at it. No, that's great. You know, in some of your speeches, what are some of the things you share that you immediately see differently? Well, you know, for one, it's just by nature of being uh, what I refer to as creative warriors, uh, the, the root of my po- the name of my podcast is uh, by, by nature of being a creative warrior, also what I refer to as the uncommon entrepreneur, you need to do business differently, right? Because the rest of the world is transactional. Uh, you know, I, I, honestly, Jesse, 99% of businesses are built backwards in the first place mm-hmm. because the way most people go into business is they have a great idea. They're excited about their idea. They build a business and then they spend the rest of their lives trying to fit people into that business. Where the right way to build a business is what I refer to in lingo as customer centric, meaning and it's customer centric is very different than customer service. Right. Customer services, blah, blah, blah. That's all good stuff. Nice, nice has. But customer centric is actually knowing who your ideal customer is, what their secret language is and building a business for them that speaks to them. So inherently, most businesses are built backwards in the first place. Therefore, you have to look at everything upside down in order to get it right. Mm, I love that. And it's so true because so many businesses, I talk about this all the time, they focus more on the what. They focus on their product. They don't focus on the who. And it sounds like you've really developed that. Even with our business, the name of our company is Fans First Entertainment, focused on the who, not focused on the what, more of a customer-centric instead of just a customer service focus. Got it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a perfect transition. We're going to dive deep now. We're going to get into lingo and, you know, discovering your customer's secret language. You know, I've seen kind of the pre-draft of the book coming out, named it one of the top eight upcoming books coming out at the end of January. But, you know, one thing I I latched on to, you wrote, one of the problems is people in businesses are rarely exceeding expectations. And I really want to find out how are you able to see that with businesses that they are able to exceed expectations? 
Well, first of all, you have to look at the root of expectation. I mean, you know, expectation by definition means you've as a predetermined outcome, right? So even when people say, I'm going to exceed my expectations, what you're really saying is you're going to try to go a little bit beyond what you've already established or capable of. So for one, we have to let go of the nature of expectations. I mean, how do we how do we create what I call a life of awe? Like, how do we create the life where we end up shocked at how far we've come, right? That we didn't expect it. Because expectation is a predetermined outcome. So, you know, I, I th- we have to constantly – oh, I tell you, my, my favorite quote of all time is by Jim Rohn, which is our level of success rarely exceeds our level of personal development. Mm. Right. So I, I just embody that quote every day of my life because to me it's all a bunch of series of ceilings, right? Mm. Right now I can achieve the level of success based on the ceiling of personal development that I have achieved, currently achieved. So as I want to move forward in my life, I just constantly raise that ceiling of my own personal development. How can I be, you know, how can I think bigger? How can I step further away from expectations? And so that I can open up the space for the success that I always feel like success is creeping up from behind me. It's like nipping up my butt all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm always looking at how can I step forward so the success that's trailing right behind me can step up and meet me. That's brilliant. So, I, I mean, I guess I want to go into just your, your first business as a photographer. You know, how were you able to either use your personal development or to, like, make expectations not matter, to be able to put a, such customer-centric focus on what you were doing as a photographer? You know, it was all personal development. To this day, I will always say that entrepreneurship is the greatest. It's like personal development on steroids <laughs> because be, being the photographer that I became was to this day, Jesse, honestly, the biggest stretch of my life. It still makes no sense. I mean, I was a kid that grew up in a lower middle class uh, town. I was paralyzed with shyness until my mid 20s. Uh, I mean, I was couldn't have been more withdrawn for the world. I mean, as a kid, everybody, all the other kids in the neighborhood were out playing. I was hiding in the house somewhere. Like I would, the extent of avoidance I went through, and stuff honestly, my parents don't even know. Like I, throughout middle school and the first half of high school, I never stepped foot into a gym class or a cafeteria. I I found a guidance counselor or a place that I could hide. I when I in order for me to graduate from high school, Jesse, I had to make up like some sixty classes of gym in order to graduate. <laughs> so why, why, why were you why were you so scared I, we know the bank story but why were you so scared I just was inherently a shy kid okay. you know I'm just I was you know I, honestly I've grown to be very grateful for that aspect of my life because I think it's what makes me a masterful observer of human behavior because I just stood back and watched life mm-hmm. um, you know and there, there were dynamics and family and things like that but I was extremely withdrawn and, and, and shy so becoming this photographer who, and that's the irony of it. I mean, I chose photography as a profession because it's the ultimate profession if you want to hide. Because back in the day, we had dark rooms. Yeah. Right? So, no eye contact. You didn't have to know who was in, even in high school in a, in a group, a dark room. I didn't even, barely even knew who the other people were in there because you didn't see anybody. Mm-hmm. And there was always a barrier as you went out into the world and I photographed. Uh, you know, there's a barrier, that camera between me and the, the rest of the world that I felt like I could hide behind. It was the ultimate career to choose. However, I was really good at it. And it wound up elevating me to, you know, getting on, getting a lot of attention, awards, national awards and, and going off to photography school, et cetera. So, you know, to me, I, if there's no way I could never have expected, there's no way, Jesse, I ever could have expected I would become the photographer and reach the level of success that I could. It never would have entered my mind. It was so far of a reach. 
Um, so, you know, that, that it's still the biggest reach of my life. The fact that I stepped forward and decided I was going to be a portrait photographer for, you know, the most affluent families <laughs> in the United States. And here I was my, you know, I knew my, I identified myself as shy and withdrawn and I wound up photographing, you know, these outstanding people. And so you gear, you know, basically all of your success with that based on your drive for personal development. You know, that's a great question. I, which, you know, it's like chicken and egg, which came first. <laughs> um, you know, it's like I just, you know, due to circumstances, due to my phobia of banks and not being able to make ends meet and then really getting uh, and I share in lingo a, a number of stories where I really understood that, you know, when I started my photography business in my hometown, I was, you know, I was the wrong fish in the wrong pond. Mm -hmm. And I needed to shift. I needed to find the world where I belonged. And I realized that really what I belonged was I belonged serving affluent people. Mm -hmm. And not because they had money, but because for whatever reason, I had very similar values and an understanding and a perspective on the world as I realized wealthy people did, which was entirely different from where I came from, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I was a, by 19 years old, I had life insurance, right? <laughs> I was always a really long-term planner. Wow. I had life insurance. I had my whole life mapped out. And yet, you know, my father died at 52 without life insurance. Wow. Um, so I realized that was the, the, the pinnacle problem I was having in my first three years of business as a photographer in my hometown was that. I didn't share the values of the people that live there. The, the people in that town were struggling to put a meal on the, on the, the table that night and to pay their rent. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, I need to get paid a lot of money as a photographer because so I'm creating portraits that people are going to hand down for generations. And I realized these people don't think far ahead. Mm -hmm. They can't. No, it's brilliant. They're paralyzed by not having money. It's a lower, you know, economic scale. Yeah. And I needed to find where I belonged first. And I realized, man, I belong serving a clientele who has the freedom to plan ahead because they have financial stability. So that was the big leap for me. It's like, well, this is who I need to be with to serve. Now I just have to understand what makes them tick, what their secret language is, understand their lifestyle. Brilliant. So, you know, it kind of pushed me to say, well, the, and here's what I, what I realized, and I do share this in the book towards the end, what I call the validation paradox. The validation, the, the validation paradox is the, the ultimate paradox is that while we're trying to find ourselves, we ultimately realize we need others. Mm. And the greatest advantage, what I try to teach in Lingo, and the outcome of Lingo that I want for people is that they develop businesses where they are only working with their ideal customer. Mm -hmm. One of the greatest advantages is that, forget about the finances and the ease of doing business, one of the greatest advantages of working with your ideal customers, you ultimately find out where you belong. And when you find out where you belong, you end up working with people who see more in you than you can see in yourself. Yeah. I never could have seen in myself what I became as a photographer, but the people I worked with saw more in me than I saw in myself. That pushed that personal development up constantly. Yeah, and it's brilliant. It makes so much sense, and that's why you know the importance of understanding that ideal customer because you knew who you had to serve and that grew your business leaps and bounds. And don't think we're going to, we're going to go into some games, but we're diving deep into to lingo a little bit. You know, what I'm really intrigued, you do have a five-step process and we can dive into that, but I, I love the point where you said, grow a community, not a database. And you made references to Taylor Swift and the Swifties and Justin Bieber and the Beliebers and Lady Gaga and the Little Monsters. Can you share that? Because I think community is a buzzword used now, but people still talk about great email list. It's not about creating just a community. Can you share how you've done that or how you've seen businesses do that very well? 
Yeah, I, you know, and I think it's a first thing. It's just, it's a mind shift. You know, if you start thinking about your business as building a community, I think you take on a whole other level of responsibility for the care uh, and the warmth. <laughs> I worked that in the warm Bonus feeling points. that you create in your business. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's um, I think it just ups the game. Right. Because if you look at your if you look at the people you serve as customers, if you look at the market as something to target, if you look at it as a database to build and an email list to increase, there's a coldness to that. Mm-hmm. Right. So what we want is ding, 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 the warm side of doing business. <laughs> More points. <laughs> yeah. No, so, I want I guess I want to dive into that. Jeffrey. Yeah. So my, if you're an insurance salesman. All right. Mm-hmm. How do you grow a community and not a database? Well, you know, it's it's how you relate to them. It's what what relationship do you establish with them? I mean, for one, I mean, in the classic easy way of doing it is a Facebook group, right? Mm-hmm. In which I have with Creative Warriors Unite, which became an extension of the podcast because I realized that the people listening to the podcast wanted to gather. So, if you're an insurance agent, you know, how can you build a community with with using Facebook? Can you g- create a a place where people can go to get uh, you know, more sense of security and information about what you do. Mm-hmm. How could you become a valuable resource to a very specific r- group of people? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's how do you build relationship? You know, if you, as you're building that so-called email list, if you think of the people on that list, not as just names on a list, but members of your community, then hopefully you'll take more responsibility to show up in their lives and in their inboxes a little more frequently with valuable information for them and not about you. Brilliant. So as you've grown the warriors, as you call it, with your podcast, how have you seen what were the best things to make that group grow? By far, the best thing I've done is, as far as a relationship is my Facebook group, Creative Warriors Unite, um, because it is it's it's you know, a couple thousand members and I know them by name. Uh, you know, one of the things, Jesse, I did, I came across years ago. I don't know if you're familiar with Brian Clark, but um, no. <laughs> Brian Clark has this wonderful model uh, that you could say is sort of a spin on a typical marketing funnel, and he calls it concentric circles. So, you know, when we think of a marketing funnel, what is it really? You know, a marketing funnel has a broad top and it gets more narrow. And energetically, what you're really saying with a marketing funnel is that the closer people get to you, you're going to squeeze them through a small hole. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. You know, it's got a really weird energy to it. Whereas (laughs) concentric circles are, you know, a smaller circle and start inside of a a larger circle. Mm-hmm. And the, what I, I like to look at business that way. I like to look at building a community that way because the way I see it is right now there are listeners all over the world that are in the outer rings of those circles listening to the podcast. Mm-hmm. My level of responsibility is how can I get them to step one step closer, one circle in, one circle in, one circle in till where do they end up? They end up at the, the, the center of the circle, which is the core, the heart. Makes sense. Right? So it becomes an energetic desire to get people to step closer to, to your heart than just squeezing them through a small hole. Yeah, they're not they're not just the outsiders just coming and you're making a like here and there or following. They're actually getting them engaged and it sounds nice. like you've built a yeah. great group. I love it. Beautiful. All right, we're going to get back into the five-step process, but we're going to break it up with a game. Now, Jeffrey, a lot of, you know, different podcasts do sponsorships and ads. Well, I just break it up with some games. So, it is time for truth and dare. Just do it. Which one would you like first? Let's do truth. <laughs> all right, you're doing both, but which uh all right, truth, we're going to go deep here. What's your biggest fear in business? Oh, my biggest fear in business is that no matter how hard I work, I'm not going to be noticed. Okay. Why does noticed matter so much to you? Uh, it's, 
it enables me to to do more work, you know, and that's the thing. It's not an ego driven. Hey, I want to be recognized. I want to be noticed. It's because recognition is a marketing strategy today. 100%. Right. I mean, I, I need to be recognized in order to have the impact I want. My honestly, that's the, the that's the weird dichotomy, I guess, of my personality. I'm sure it's true of others is that, you know, shyness and all that's been part of it. But I, I'm not an insecure person. Like I've got a high level of inner confidence. Yeah. Um, so my ego doesn't need to be fed. I don't need the attention. I actually don't love the attention. Mm-hmm. I just want to do the work. Yeah. Right. No, makes sense. And recognition is a marketing strategy. 100 percent. I said I said attention. Be- I say attention beats marketing 1000 percent of the time. If you create attention, you stand out, you get noticed. The marketing sometimes exactly. takes care of itself. So I understand. All right, you're not getting away from the dare. So I'll give you an option here. You can either do a celebrity impersonation or you can play a game that we do at our stadium every game. It's called Sing in the Blank. I play a very popular song. When it stops, you finish the song lyrics. Oh, uh, let's do this thing, the lyrics. I don't know if I'm going to know. Hopefully I'll know the song. You'll know that we're, we're, going, we're, we're going Michael Jackson here, okay? Okay. I am the man in the mirror. Something like that. <laughs> yes, that wasn't the most warm singing. It's actually, I'm starting with the man in the mirror, but you nailed it. Man in the mirror. All right. Bonus points for that. 20 points. Was that the first time you sang Michael Jackson on a podcast? That is the first time I sang anything on a podcast. And honestly, I, I have a better voice than what just came out. But yeah, this is that. Yeah, good p- points for you for startling me yeah that's that's what they all say (laughs) now i'll actually go back to your i'll go back to your life uh this is deets about the tweet the game so i love your twitter you're constantly posting great comments great things from uh your different uh guests that you have on creative warriors but one post that you wrote you said live your goals without your goals becoming your life explain that yeah so it's sort of uh gosh it's sort of like you know that money follows impact, right? So it depends on what you focus on. So what I have found is that there's a, there's a lessening of the grip. You know, there's, a, there's an ad, I actually did some research trying to find out the root of this, and I've yet to find it, but there's this old adage that says that you can't receive with a clenched fist. Okay. So I'm a believer of setting goals, obviously setting, actually, again, it's interesting in lingo, there's this, there's a chapter called reciprocal communication where I finally was able to kind of put in a written word, what I've experienced much of my life, which is this loosening of a grip where, you know, believe me, Jess, I'm as hard a worker as anybody. I have goals. I strive for that goals, but repeatedly I find that, you know, you can't receive with a clenched, clenched fist. Like you, there's, you have to, you have to strive for it, and then you have to, to lessen the grip a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, can I share a kind of personal story with you? It, it yeah. might reinforce this. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned earlier, I'm a practitioner of yoga. I study yoga very seriously, a particular type of yoga. It's called Iyengar yoga. And I had, I was fortunate to have really one of the best uh, teachers in the country. Her name is Mary Dunn. Um, Mary, Mary Dunn's mother brought Iyengar yoga to the United States. It was like a direct lineage. Uh, and... Mary was stricken with a very rare and aggressive type of cancer. And uh, she would actually teach our weekly class when she could. And one day after class, I said to her, you know, I was by myself with her. I said, Mary, how are you really doing? You know, this is, we knew she was, she was really fighting for her life. And she said, I'm learning to walk towards life without holding on to the outcome. Mm. And that is how I feel about goals. Like it is, you know, yes, we strive for our goals, but it's the attachment to the outcome that can get us hung up. 
And it's a very hard balance for entrepreneurs, I think, to really get the idea that, you know, you got to strive for your goals, you have to know what your goals are, but how do you lessen that grip a little bit? And I think it's important because the goals you seek have to want you as much as you want it in order for it to happen. And something else I share in the book is that I strive for two years to get a TEDx talk. And I, I applied to over a dozen, it's not 12 or 13 events I applied to and didn't get into a single one because, and I was positive I was ready for a TEDx event. Absolutely positive. Yeah. And getting increasingly frustrated that I wasn't getting accepted. And, um, you know, I got to a point where I reflected back on my life for the past two years. I was in a very volatile personal relationship who every time I went away, all hell broke loose at home. So I realized, you know, as much as I thought I was ready for that goal, the reality was I was grateful it never came along because there's a really good chance I would not have been able to be at my best at any one of those times. I lessened that grip. And just I can tell you now here on the air, just two weeks ago, I was just chosen to speak at TEDx Lincoln Square in New York City yes. on March, March 27th. Yes. And I swear it's because the goal was ready for me. I wasn't just ready for the goal. The goal was also ready for me. Oh, that's that's what I mean by you know sh- striving for your goals but lessening the grip a little bit. And I hate saying the cliche too, like the best things happen when you least expect it. But when you get so focused and so focused on one thing, they say that's the great to do, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And, you know, I guess with you coming to this, this book, which is, I think it's gonna be outstanding. And also, you know, all the guests and everything you've had on your show, how do you, are you not looking for outcome anymore with the amount of book sales or, you know, the amount of downloads on your podcast? Yeah, I, I do. And I, I'm a number counter. Yeah. You know, I set goals for everything right now. I mean, I've got more number goals than you can imagine right now. How many podcast <laughs> interviews do I want to do? Yeah. How many reviews do I want at launch time? I, you know, I'm a number counter for sure. I'm not going to say that I'm not. But what the outcome of that, I'm not attached to the outcome, right? It's a goal to strive for. Okay. But the result of that does not change how grounded I feel, how firm I feel, feet feel on the earth, right? I'm not going to let those things throw me off. I'm just going to pick it up and keep going. You know, um, that's just, that. how else, what else can you do, right? No, I mean, I just feel like you have to have your goals, but at the same time, you just, you know, you, you just lessen the grip a little bit and then just move on. Yeah. Uh, I, a foundational mindset, I guess you could say I live with, is that you make a decision and you make it right. You know, and I'm known, by the way, for making really outrageous last minute decisions. I moved to Miami Beach on a whim. Like, I mean, it was just like, hey, I think I'll just stay here. Um, I did. I came down for three months and never left. And wow. so... You know, and I, I make very quick decisions, but it's because I'm coming from this place in my own mind that you make a decision and you make it right. There aren't wrong decisions. There aren't failures. You yeah. just keep going. Yeah, and, and, and you know, decisions, even if they're right or wrong, they're discovery. And you got to look at failures differently. I learned that from Steve Sims the other day on a show, and it's discovery. And I think the fact that you're not focused on the outcome, the entrepreneurs, listen up. It's debilitating. If you're so focused on getting to this certain thing, you don't loosen up on the guardrails. Uh, I think that's some great piece of advice. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, Dietz about a tweet. All right. I want to go back into lingo, back into another game. We're going to keep rolling through this. Share briefly the five-step process. And I want to dive in on one of those. But the five-step process, I think this is very important. Discover your customer's secret language. 
Yeah, and they, they in fact are a sequence, really. And I do think you have to do work this out in a sequence because step number one is perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, a perspective builds an understanding. You have to understand mm-hmm. the perspective of your ideal customer. Now, by the way, I just want to clarify something here that uh, you asked earlier about, you know, how one of the things I look at things differently. Mm-hmm. A, a question that came up a lot when I started doing podcast interviews, and by the way, we were still editing the book when I started doing these interviews. Yeah. And because of the interviews, the one question that kept coming up that we actually went back and added a chapter to the book. And that was, well, how do we know who our ideal customer is? Mm. I actually wrote this book thinking people knew that. <laughs> and I realized, wow, wow that's the, how, here, the number one question is people are like, well, how do I know who my ideal customer is? And I realized the reason people don't know this is because other people have been suggesting you, you have been asking the question the wrong way. Mm-hmm. You define your ideal customer not by you deciding who they are, but first understanding who you are best for. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's why it's really an inward process first. Who am I best for? Who can I serve? So that's, that's how like I determined. Your, your best talent. So what you can do best. Like you realize as a photographer what you could do best. So you were serving that customer. But actually, in my case, and I think often the case, my values, like yeah. it wasn't that I'm the best photographer, that I deserve to work with the most affluent because I was the best <laughs> photographer. It's because I had to get in touch with my values in order to understand mm-hmm. who my ideal customer was. I was never going to succeed in my hometown because I didn't share those values, mm-hmm. right? So number one, you know, you have to, you could say there's an additional step here, which is first ident- identifying who your <laughs> ideal customer is. Then, then from that place, step number one of building the secret language strategy is understanding their perspective. Because once you know who their ideal customer is, you have to know what their world looks like. What are their value? What are their values? Mm-hmm. How do they see the world? Mm-hmm. Right? How do they, what do they experience in the world? Well, I wound up working with a very affluent clientele as a photographer, which I knew nothing about. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. So I had, that was imperative to understand the perspective. And then second step is to then create an environment of familiarity because familiarity stand out and exactly. it creates comfort yep exactly right you can't unsee what's familiar to you mm-hmm. <laughs> right? no that's for sure so that is your huge leverage huge leverage and standing out above all the other market noise and i, I want to so, thank you before we get into three thank you for using the word stand out that's everything i mean my book how to be successful by standing out and that is the key if you don't stand out you're dead and i think yeah, well, everyone yeah. steps about standing out repeatedly, you know, I use the word stand out. So familiarity makes you stand out. One thing, you know, I give an example um, that, you know, if you, when you go to a foreign country, you can't not see Starbucks, <laughs> right? I mean, you could be in Italy, you can't not see that logo mm-hmm. because it's so familiar to us. Mm-hmm. So that's, and that's, it visually stands out. Beautiful. Right? So it's real powerful there. Um, third step is style. Mm-hmm. And style is a decision maker, you know, and whether we want to admit it or not, we make decisions all day long, every day of our lives based on whether a style of something resonates for us, the style of music. Uh, an example I like to give is if you go to any kind of discount clothing store, like a TJ Maxx or mm-hmm. something like that, where uh, – you know, the clothing, if you look, shirts on a rack are mixed in by size, not by designer, mm-hmm. right? So you're flipping through all the mediums that you might wear, and what makes you stop, mm-hmm. right? It's the style. Yeah, like, that's the sure. style of that shirt resonates for you. You know, in your case, it would be yellow. <laughs> so all yellow. yellow shirt, you know, I'm going to stop, right? <laughs> you know, so style is a decision maker. So again, when you understand the perspective of your ideal customer, you then can can create a style that stops them in their tracks. It becomes awesome. the decision maker. Like, oh, I want to do business with that business because their style resonates for me. Perfect. We make decisions every day like that. Mm-hmm. Fourth step is price. I love the whole nature of pricing psychology. I find it fascinating and it's so 
unbelievably powerful because pricing creates perception. Mm -hmm. You can position your business in any market in any place in that market based on the psychology of pricing, right? And how pricing, uh, you know, what your price is, because if it's too low, people could interpret it as being not good quality. Cheap, if yes. Right? If it's too high, it's not right for large groups of people, mm -hmm. right? But you can decide where the perception you want people to have of your, and that's one of, when I help uh, my coaching clients establish their pricing, the first thing I ask them is what perception do you want people to have mm -hmm. of your business? Rich, right? Perfect. Start with the perception and then you decide how can you convey that perception through your pricing. Mm -hmm. You know, nowadays what we see a lot of are, you know, things for $199, $299, $749. We see that $1 less than thing. And then those very same businesses complain that they're working with people who are penny pitchers. Because <laughs> that's the perception that they're leaving. That's the perception you're yeah. leaving. Lead, you're, you're creating a perception right up front that every dollar matters. Exactly. So I'm going to price it $1 less than a whole number. It's like, well, if that's not the customer you want, then just call it what it is. $100, bucks, yeah. $100, bucks, yeah. $750, $1,000, oh, just call it what it is. Exactly. That's how you, you know, that if that's the language of your ideal customer. Mm. And then the last step are, are words. You know, you can't write a book called Lingo and not talk about words, but we, words are powerful. We're, marketing words stand out. Uh, one of the processes that I teach in the book is what I call a standout statement, mm. right? Which is, a, it's a it's a sentence we work towards. It has criteria, three to seven words and a single sentence that lets the world know, your ideal customer know, what you stand for, how they're a fit for your business and what you can do for them in three to seven words. It has to have an energetic quality to it that they're drawn to it like a moth to a flame. Awesome. Um, let, me, let, me jump in, let me jump in on that. So on, yeah. the, on our website, the main point that we have on our Savannah Bananas is we make baseball fun. How, how, how would you rate that or how would you make that better? First of all, it's, it's immediately, it is compelling um, because I don't hear people talking about baseball that way, although <laughs> I already think of baseball as being fun. Oh. I just don't expect it to see it on a website. Most people don't. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. So I, I was just wondering, because that's a short, very, but what words, like, do you, you, like, when you're working with clients, what words really pop out, like adjectives or descriptives? So what I would, what I would do with you further and anybody is, and again, something else I work with a lot is, uh, you know, what does make somebody different? You know, and I, I was on a group call not too long ago. There's about 24 people on the call and, uh, it was on a, a zoom webcam. So, you know, we have 24 people you can visually see and I, and all creatives, all creative people in all different industries. And I point out, I said, you know, look at everybody here. Look at everybody on your monitor. We're all really ordinary looking people. <laughs> you know, my ideal customer tends to be between the age of 35 and 65. Mm -hmm. um, they've probably been in business for a while or during career transition. They're a new entrepreneur. But, you know, the 35 to 65 year old men and women who are, live really normal lives but are insanely creative. Mm-hmm. Right? But if you met them on the street, you'd think they were a banker or a school teacher. Not a banker. Right? Not a banker, Jeffrey. We've got to stay away from the banks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, you know, my ideal customer are not pink-haired, mm -hmm. body-pierced, tattooed mm -hmm. yep. people. Yep. Right? And, and nothing wrong with it. It's just not – that's not my ideal customer. That's not who I draw into my world. Mm -hmm. And so then if you look at it, it's like, well, if they're not standing out because they're outlandish, what makes them stand out? And what I find the most powerful way of standing out is – what is your unique perception about what you do? Mm. And this is an imperative thing because there's hardly any industry that is brand new, 
We're all doing something that a lot of other people are doing. So how do you stand out? I believe you stand out by being able to convey to the world what your unique perception perspective is on what you do. So what I would encourage you, I want to know more about the story behind your love of baseball. I want to understand more about. But see, that's 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 the big thing, and I don't want to go too much in this. I want to stand here. We don't actually love baseball. We feel baseball is long, slow, and boring, and we've had to create a whole fan base of people that want. Crazy promotions, dancing players, you know, senior citizen dance team, you know, a pep band playing at the games, nonstop performers, singing, dancing, entertaining. So we've had to create this whole thing. The baseball is our platform and we're developing baseball fans. So, you know, again, again, it goes back to probably the process of knowing who your ideal customer is and knowing really who you are yeah. more than anything. I would want that. I would want that sentence on your website to be a little more outlandish then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Outlandish. We make baseball. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. No, that's yeah. great. I love that. So just base- we blow baseball up, or I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, this is, this is yeah. not not your grandpa's game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. So I'm um, just for people that are taking notes, paying attention. The five step process: know the perspective of your ideal customer, to create the familiarity environment, uh, present your business in style, attract your ideal customer with price, and pricing creates perception, which I love, and then speak to your ideal customer with the words you choose. So those are the five. You got it. Beautiful. Love it. All right. Let's go into a game now. Love it or leave it. And this is based on the lingo that they speak. So I'm going to name a company or a persona, celebrity, and you got to tell me whether you love them based on the language they speak or you leave them based on the language they speak. You ready? All right. All right. Let's go with Vince McMahon and the WWE. <laughs> uh, that's a killer one because I, I photographed his family, so I know probably way more about him than I want to talk about. Oh, <laughs> uh, so you want love it or leave it? Yes. Can I pick? Yes. Oh gosh, um, <laughs> I don't like the man. Okay. I, I, I have to be honest with you. Um, so we'll go uh, with the leave it. Uh, leave it. Too All arrogant. Right. All right, Taco Bell. Um, based on the ling- lingo they speak, the the language. Yeah, you know, love it. All right. You know, they they know their audience. They they speak that language very well. Beautiful. Airbnb. Uh love it. All right. We'll go with that. Warby Parker. Love it. All right. Lavar Ball. If you've heard about him and his sons, the crazy publicity, the basketball Oh, uh, you know, I've heard of this story. I'm just sorry. I'm so not a sports guy. We'll, we'll pass that. You, but no, I don't know enough about him. No, no, we'll pass that. Uh, yeah. a- Apple today versus Apple before. Has it changed? I think it's going through. I think Apple's going through a huge transition. Um, it's funny. I think the the Steve Jobs of Steve's Steve Job effect is sort of all these years later is starting to have an effect on, on Apple. Um, the loss of him. Um, Still love it. Okay. Hanging on. All right. Beautiful. Now, name a company or a person that you think does a great job with their language they speak that maybe people don't know about. Yeah, I, I talk about them in the book. Man Crates. <laughs> Do you know who Man Crates? I heard you talking about them on one of oh. your own podcasts. But yeah, briefly explain to the audience. I just love everything about this company. And, you know, we just we've just celebrated Christmas and I gave away probably a half a dozen or more of Man Crates. Um, they just do everything right. I mean, it's such a cool it's so hard to buy gifts for men. Right. So they they can they have these themed wooden crates or now they've expanded into like ammo boxes. I got uh, my uh, son-in-law an ammo box <laughs> full of like beef jerky and stuff. So it's the experience, you know, and this I talk about this on Lingo as well, is that they they do a fantastic job at giving you the the opportunity to create an amazing experience for you. And uh, and this is one of the things I think businesses, again, have 
are beginning to do wrong. You know, there's been a lot of buzz in business for years about the value of experience. But again, I think experience has become like customer service, like it's something we're pushing on people. Like we decide the experience we want you to have when you interact with our business and we're gonna make you have that experience. Nowadays, you know, due to to millennials, Instagram, uh, Facebook Live, the consumer wants to be in charge of the experience they have. They want to create their, the best we can do as businesses is, is to create the environment for them to create the experience that they want. We have to stop pushing the experience we want them to have on, on them. We have to allow them to create their own experience. Man creates and does this fabulously. Like they send you this, you, 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 they have various themes mm-hmm. and you choose a theme. It gets delivered in a, uh, either a wooden crate box or an ammo box. What I like to do is for an extra 10 bucks, you can have that wooden crate wrapped in duct tape, <laughs> like layers of duct tape. I mean, it is, it's a 30 to 45 minute experience for the recipient to get into that crate <laughs> to even see what's inside, which might be something as simple as a bunch of different variety of nuts or beef jerky. Oh, like the it. gift inside is not phenomenal. It's great. It's good quality yeah. stuff, but it's, it's the experience that, that, they not only create because everybody's going to handle it differently. The wooden crate comes with a crowbar. Um, uh, it was such a. I, there's nothing more joyous to me than it's, you know Christmas morning watching my son and my son-in-law and you know other you know male friends of my family try to you know open these crates up. Oh. They do it so well and they follow through. I once had an issue with a promo code. I had to call them. A guy answers the phone on customer service, which already is rare. You know yeah. how many there aren't a lot of men on the front line yep. of customer service. And this is like, hey, dude, how's your day going? And I mean, everything is spot on. Oh, that's a, and the lesson here is, you know, you're sharing it now. You've already shared on other shows. You're sharing in your book. When you provide these crazy, fun, different, unique experiences, people share it. It's not just what you want them to have, but they're having it. That's why they share it. And exactly. I love that. Love that. That's Excellent. how you stand out. And this company doesn't even know I exist yet. I actually need to reach out to they, them. They, should. they, they would, should give you some free man yeah, crates. They would be amazed at how much publicity I give them. Oh, I love it. That's <laughs> yeah. outstanding. All right. New segment here thrown for you. Uh, quickly into the greatest showman. I just saw the film, obviously huge P.T. Barnum guy. Love it, love what they did. It was an amazing, amazing movie. Who do you believe's a great showman in business right now? Oh, it's so funny, I'm actually going to see the movie tonight and I just shared um, last night all over Facebook, yesterday I was sharing a video of a rehearsal of the song, This Is Me, that I have not been able to get through without weeping yet. Wow. I mean, wow. you have to find this. It's 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 the video of the rehearsal before this movie was even made. It is so powerful. Wow. The message behind like this is me, you know, because oh my gosh, I I've not made it through it yet without weeping like a child. I mean, it's oh. incredible. So who do I think is one of the greatest showmen um, in business today? Man, there are, there are many, but as you know, some some people are more showmen for the sake of being showmen, mm. right? Somebody I instill a lot of trust in because of his level of care in, I think the true, I, I think he's the, he's my PT Barnum would be Michael Port. Mm. Michael is my speaking coach. He and his wife, Amy, actually, I consider them my speaking coach. I've done some training with them. I'll be doing a lot more training with them coming up to prepare for my TEDx talk. Mm. And, you know, he himself is not a showman. He himself is not outlandish, although he's amazing on stage. But like a masterful ringleader, mm-hmm. what he cares about is his performers. And he cares about his performers and those that he teaches to be better speakers with such heart and authenticity. I mean, the man recently gave up. He retired from keynote speaking 
having got typically getting paid like 30 grand a gig, he retired from keynote speaking because he felt it was increasingly getting more challenging in co- and training other speakers without hearing their great ideas and feeling like, oh, maybe I, you know, or if, he, or if he had a great idea for them, he felt like he had to withhold it wow. because maybe he'd want to use that. And he, the instant he felt that way, he's like he could no longer be the keynote speaker. He had to be their ringleader. Mm-hmm. To me, he, you know, so it's not that he is the greatest showman, although he is an amazing showman on his own, like a true leader and ringleader, ringmaster. He wants his performers to shine the most. Mm. So I, cu- I couldn't respect anybody uh, more. No, uh, it, it shows, and it's about care, and you said it all right there. Excellent. That's amazing. All right, last three segments quickly. I want to go into a high-performance minute round. I, I'm blown away by the people that you've brought in your show. If you haven't gone to Creative Warriors podcast, it is one of the best with some of the best guests. You interview these high performers. What's one thing you've seen in common? Uh, gosh, so many things. Um one is they they just never stop developing. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I'm talking to Julia Cameron and it actually happened to be her, I think, 62nd birthday or something, the day we actually did the interview. And, you know, she's legend, world known for The Artist Way, written 25 years previously. And, and this was kind of the follow-up book 25 years later. And, you know, she, she and I had this incredible conversation on mic and off mic about how she was growing as a person. And I'm like, I just, so that for sure, um, you know, and I've seen it to know one of my favorite authors is Todd Henry. And I remember commenting after interviewing Todd, how precise he was and how an amazing interview he was. And, you know, he explained how, you know, he has like his study sheets for his own content, right? Because he, he wanted to know his own content so well, right? So I just, I see this constant quest to be better at what they do that really has nothing to do with them, but because they want to serve the best way they can. And that's been a whole theme throughout this show and, you know, personal development, developing, getting better. I love it. All right. I want to finish our last two segments here, Jeffrey, a favorite time. And then the final four. So I want to get some of your favorites. What's a favorite tool you use in your business? Uh, I will say the to do app. Uh, it's the number two and then D-O, to-do app. Um, I mention it all the time. How could I not? I mean, I'm in it all day long. I, I love it. It's, it's my to-do list. Um, so it's my go-to all day long. Interesting. I love it. All right. What's your favorite part of the morning? Oh, between 8.30 and 9.15, uh, which is when I'm walking my two little dogs on um, – uh, on the beach and uh, typically reciting my affirmation that I'm currently working with in my own mind as, I, as I'm walking. So I, I get to take in the beauty of the environment I live in. I get to enjoy the company of my dogs and I feel like I'm pushing myself forward by the repetition of uh, the affirmation. Outstanding. What about favorite way to unwind at the end of the day? Um, Walking on the beach again. I mean, honestly, it's why I live here. You know, I, I go to the beach because I, I, unfortunately, living here has killed my desire to exercise because, <laughs> you know, I don't have to work for it anymore. The ocean has a really powerful effect. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll just go, I'll just go chill on the beach. Awesome. All right. Favorite business conference you've been to? 
probably podcast movement. You know, I mean, as a photographer, I've been going to photography conventions for 30 plus years and not that they aren't great, but what I love about going to podcast movement is that this is a, in so many ways, this is an industry in its infancy and there's such a vibrant energy. Like nobody's been around long enough to be negative and discouraged. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's really upbeat. So I, I love it. I've gone every year. I think it's the third or fourth year, maybe the fourth year and I've gone each time. Awesome. This is tough for an avid reader, but is there a favorite book that stands out for you? Oh, yeah, that, that is a really tough one. I, <laughs> I have to say um, the Geography of Genius it was a, definitely a standout for me because it was so different. Uh, what I love about the Geography of Genius is that it was, it was really a, a, a study of the ultimate question, which is which came first, right? Mm. We have these pockets of where ge- great genius and creativity came from, places like Florence and Athens and uh, even Silicon Valley. And, and this, so it poses the question, which came first? Right. Was it the environment make the creativity and the genius or did the genius and creativity make the environment? Like, how did that place on Earth become so known for creativity? It's a very interesting question. and It becomes a very interesting study as to which came first. It's not conclusive. I think you can walk away creating your own conclusion, which you think came first. Wow. Outstanding. And the final favorite magic moment. I want to know one moment that stands out for you in your life. I've had many, but I have to say when I, so again, the story behind how I ended up here in Miami Beach was I came down, I was living in Manhattan and had been living in Manhattan for uh, many, many years of my adult life. And I came down for three months, intending on three months, and then decided to never leave. There was a day where shortly thereafter, after I had settled in, moved here, uh, the day I signed a lease, I drove my Lexus SUV over to a mini dealer and handed them the keys and said, I'll leave it that cute little white mini. (laughs) And um, a lot of really quick decisions. And there was a day where I think it all settled down and I, I took a walk at the park near my house, which is on the beach. And it was one of the few moments I wasn't with my dogs, I was alone. I sat down on this bluff and looked around me and I had the most profound feeling Jesse that I had been here before wow and what I realized is that it what I was I was sitting in that moment looking around and realizing this is the exact ideal scenario of life I had dreamt about my entire life from being a kid wow and I had no reason to develop that image because I didn't I as a kid and as a child I never spent time in environments like this But in that moment, it was more than a deja vu. It was a moment where I looked around and it's like, oh my gosh, the culmination of every thought and vision I have ever wanted for my life is right here, right now. Mm. It was absolutely, I actually wound up, that's actually the foundation where I came up with this, this idea of the life of awe, because I wound up as a reaction to that posting in my Facebook group, does anybody have a word bigger than gratitude? Mm. Right, because I, I'm grateful for waking up in the morning yeah. and grateful for blue skies, but I, I needed a word that would come up with what I felt in that moment because it was beyond grateful. Uh, what I felt in that moment was awe. Wow. Sounds like a very warm moment for you. It very warm. <laughs> and it was, you know, probably 90 degrees. Warm walk on the beach, beach too. So it was warm. All right, beautiful. Love the favorites. <laughs> now, quickly to finish out here, the final four. What is something you've done differently in your life to stand out? Ah. <sighs> You know, I'd say express my vulnerability. You know, I do talk about my 
challenges of being shy and and I continue to uh, in right timing and this is I think really important I you know because I've now taken on a leadership role uh, I do believe in being vulnerable in its right time I don't believe in being vulnerable when I'm in the angst and pain because then it's too easy to come out as whining and, and traumatic but I do open up and I find the depth of connection that creates for people is, is really kind of profound uh, and it helps me stand out for because it allows my my ideal customer my audience to know that I, I'm with them, right? I, I've been where they are. Yep. So I'd say opening up and being willing to be vulnerable has helped me stand out. Great. And we've used this word stand out throughout the show, but what's uh, some other advice you would give to someone to stand out in business and in life? You know, you got to own it. You know, I jokingly say often to my coaching clients, like, you got to rock what your mama gave you. You know, whatever it is that makes you different, what makes you different makes you marketable, right? Whatever it is, your unique perspective, and then own it, embody it. I find that the biggest gap in, in success is people are like 60% into their ownership. It's like, just be it, right? When you know what makes you different, when you know, when you have a unique perspective on what you do, own it 120%. I often say, you know, owning it is like throwing a, a ball against a wall. Just due to physics, it never comes back as strong as you throw it. Yeah. So throw it, baby. Like whatever, <laughs> you know, make that brand stand out. It doesn't need to be loud. It has to be clear. Uh, outstanding. Doesn't have to be loud. Like I'm not a loud yeah. person. Yep. So the, the 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 quest is always to get clear. Mm. Clarity stands out. Love it. Use the right lingo. I love it. Now use our, the right lingo. Our yeah. final two best advice you've ever received. You know, in a weird way, you know, I didn't get a lot of advice from my father. He didn't. He was a man of very few words. Um, <laughs> and but one thing he said to me, it's always stuck with me, which uh, is nobody's going to actually, you know, he was such a negative guy. It actually, I think, was intended to be very negative, And I took something positive from it. It was no one's going to take care of your life as much as you do. Right. And honestly, it was, you know, it was and in the moment it was said, it was, you know, you're on your own, buddy. Deal with it. I mean, I know in the nature in which it was sent, but I actually took from that the reality of personal responsibility. Like there's a truth to that. Nobody's ever going to care about my life as much as I do. Mm-hmm. So I take the the personal responsibility to make sure I do things right yeah. and make sure I do things with integrity. Um, it doesn't mean I turn my back. It doesn't mean I, li- I don't, my perspective of the world is not negative, mm-hmm. which is not how it was presented, mm-hmm. but rather I want to own what I'm responsible for. And I want to show up for the people that I can serve 120%. Mm, that's rich. Now, finally, final question. How do you want to be remembered? You know, the most important thing to be remembered by uh, for me is with my kids. And uh, I actually dedicated lingo to my three kids and and ended the dedication with saying, I hope this book's, you know, tongue in cheek, but I I actually don't hope by this, but I I hope this book gives you something to remember me by more than just my waffles. (laughs) And I meant that because I am legendary for making the most amazing from, you know, from scratch waffles and but everything 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 that's warm and important to me is in those waffles wow. you know i mean it was a sunday morning tradition with my kids it was an open door policy when i lived at a weekend house in connecticut everybody in the area knew that they could just stop by on a sunday morning and there were going to be three to four you know waffle makers going at any time so it was it just to me I actually want to most be known for, for, for my waffles and everything that that represents, like the uh, openness, the care for my family, the making something from scratch. Um, 
that that's I'd like to be remembered for that. That would be fine. With Never me. had waffles in that final question, but thank you. No, <laughs> no seriously, that was a beautiful, beautiful answer, and you absolutely won the business done differently show. So congratulations, Jeffrey. You you made it through with flying colors, and I'll tell you right now, uh, Lingo. I put in my top eight upcoming books of 2018. You got to get it. Jeffrey knows what he's talking about, and I uh, can't wait to put that in the show notes and listeners check it out. Jeffrey, anywhere else you'd like to guide people to connect with you? Yeah, well, we've we've actually put together a Lingo Media Kit for your listeners, which is kind of awesome. And they can get that at jeffreyshaw.com forward slash yellow. Yes. That's where that comes from. Yeah. <laughs> you own it, right? That's yes. what I'm saying. You own the yellow. You got that. So jeffreyshaw.com forward slash lingo. It's the Lingo Media Kit, which has a, a secret language infographic. So these five steps laid out in a visual infographic. Awesome. Free chapter of the book, which is on perspective, the most important chapter. Mm-hmm. And also an audio version of that chapter, which I personally love the most because I, I told additional stories and it has sound effects like it's really a kicked up version of an audio chapter uh-huh. so I'm really happy with that well, so we'll all that's together. together we will put that in the show notes Jeffrey thanks again thanks for what you're doing as an incredible entrepreneur Jesse thank you so much for having me thank you for doing business differently like we need we need more of you out there so thank you rock on keep standing out my friend Hey guys, thanks so much for your attention. Make sure to check out findyouryellowtux.com. I'm giving it away for free, The Secrets of the Yellow Tux Playbook, the six secrets to stand out directly from the book, Find Your Yellow Tux. Hope you grab a copy of Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out. I appreciate you guys. Until then, stop standing still, start standing out.